Terrific. Okay, good evening. This is Chaim Bravin, the, the Rosh Yeshiva of Web Yeshiva. And uh, it's getting close to Pesach, but we're still at it. Uh, I just remind you, if you have any shilas about Hilchot Pesach, things that come up that you, you have to ask a rabbi. That's what the rabbis are there for. Take care of those kinds of problems. So don't be shy. Go and ask a rabbi. The last five parshiot of the book of Shemot uh, contain a mystery. And that mystery is that Truma and Tetzaveh, the first two of the five, are about building the Mishkan. But they are told in the Torah before Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from Har Sinai. And the reason for that probably is that coming down from Har Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu discovered the golden calf. He discovered idolatry. Though it somehow would be unseemly for the story of building the Mishkan to take place after. I mean, in fact, because of what happened, the story, the building of the Mishkan actually did take place after the uh, golden calf was built. However, now we have a new situation. We have Mishkan, tabernacle, golden calf, and then Mishkan again, then Mishkan again. This uh, this situation, I mean, doesn't take care of the problem. It doesn't explain why there was the Chet ego, but somehow it it gives the uh, idea of building a Mishkan a, a little bit more sanctity. Like it's it's not sort of tied in entirely to the building of the of the uh, golden calf. Somehow, somehow it it encourages me to. Th- think in terms of atonement, that somehow the people of Israel under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu were granted atonement from heaven in spite of the terrible transgression that they did. And so the two parashiyot that come after Kitisa, Vayakel Pekudei, the parashiyot of this week, this Shabbat, that we're going to read in Shul, these two parashiyot, these two parashiyot are about actually building the Mishkan, not about when you build the Mishkan, this is how you should build it, but here we are building the Mishkan. And the second of these parashiyot, the parashiyot of Pekudei, the parashiyot of Pekudei, I would like to take a little bit of a closer look at. So you see on the screen, Ele Pikudei HaMishkan, Pikudei HaMishkan, these are the details, the stuff, the counting, the, 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 the accounting of the Mishkan, Mishkan HaEidut, that's what, that's what the Pasuk begins to say, and introduces itself. We're going to tell you, the Pasuk says, how all the material that was connect, collected in order to build this Mishkan. Now Rashi, Rashi helps us. 
So we have to learn Rashi phrase by phrase. You see the Rashi says, Eile Pikudei. Let me just see if I can get a, I guess I can't. Rebelled you about control of the just no. Okay, Eile Pikudei. Pikudei, you see that, those words in Rashi? Beparashazo, in this portion of the Torah, the weights of all of the things that were donated to the Mishkan. There was a record kept. Lekesev, silver, Lizahav, uh, gold, and Choshet, copper. Further, further, it is, we counted, we count all the vessels that are built Right, the vessels that are built for this, uh, for the service of the Beit Hamikdash. Okay, that's that's great, but uh, I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure I say why this is important and why it's important. I mean, I guess when you're building something, it's good to know what you've got and what you need and what has to still be collected. But why did, did the Torah tell us this? Why do, we, why do I have to know today how much gold, how much silver, how much copper was collected for B'nai Yisrael? Then Rashi goes on, and Rashi just says it. That's what, that's what P'kudai means, P'kudai Mishkan. But then Rashi says, Ele P'kudai Mishkan, Mishkan Ha'idut. Mishkan Ha'idut means um, the Luchot, the tablets. They are the witness to Matan Torah, so they called Luchot Ha'edut and the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which was the place that they were reposited, is called Mishkan Ha'edut. So Eile Pekudei Mishkan, if you read the Pasuk, Eile Pekudei Mishkan, these are the details, the accounting of the Mishkan, comma, Mishkan Ha'edut, the Mishkan that we call Edut, right? We call Edut. Rashi, takes a bit of a liberty here, and he says, HaMishkan, HaMishkan, he reads it differently. He doesn't put the comma after the first Mishkan, but he says, you know, all these things, the Torah is not written with vocalization. When you read the Torah scroll in Shul, it's not vocalized, and there are no diacritical marks. So, BeParashat Zonimnu Kol HaMishkan, right? I'm sorry, that's, the first part, Amishkan, Mishkan, you could read the two words as though they come together in a phrase. So Rashi says, Shnepamim. The word Mishkan appears twice. Remez Lemikdash. We're already thinking about the Beit Mikdash. Shinit Mashkain, Vishnei Churbanin, Al Avonotehem Shal Yisrael. Just, he says, this is a hint, this idea that the word Mishkan, I mean, you just look at it, it looks strange. The Rashi says, well, it means something. It has further meaning, deeper meaning. And the deeper meaning is that Remez is a hint to the Beit HaMikdash, which was taken away, which was put into escrow. Bishnei Chubanin, shel Yisrael. So I think there's like a, like a big idea here. The first idea is that B'nai Yisrael were made aware 
from this drasha, from these two words of Mishkan, Mishkan, they were made aware of the fact that they're going to build the Beit HaMikdash, they're going to build the Mishkan, which will then morph into the Beit HaMikdash, but, but it's not going to last. They're not going to have peace. They'll be destroyed twice. And we say it now because you know that the Pasuk says, and Rashi explains at the end of Periklam and Beis that every time the Jews are punished for something that they did that should not have done, a little bit additional punishment will be added for the Egel Azahar. So while it's true that the original intention that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought up to Moshe Rabbeinu, which was, let's wipe out the people, let's destroy them, and Moshe Rabbeinu was able to argue for mercy, that doesn't mean that the punishment has been un undone, that there is no punishment, quite the contrary. And Rashi says, it's right here. You know, Be'ez are about to build a Mishkan, which is a sign, you might think it's a sign of their reprieve. They're not being punished. They say, no. Eidutli Yisrael shebitel lehem ha-Kodesh Bochum al-Maseh ha-Egel. Mishkan ha-Eidut. Right, Eidutli Yisrael. It's the the opposite is true. Shevitel Ebakadosh Bochu al Maseha Egel. Ebakadosh Bochu gave in and was not going to punish them for the building of the golden calf. Sharei Ishrashchina Toben Ebenehemon. They built the Mishkan. Right, the Shechina was in the Mishkan, so the Shechina is in the Mishkan, so that's a good sign for Bnei Yisrael. So this is like. Like, you know, have you ever wondered why some Jews are a little confused about who they are and where they're going and what they can expect? So you see, Rashi, a Mishkan, Mishkan, that means that you should know, Bereizel should know that the Mishkan is not the panacea. It's not going to stop the world from becoming less than it might be, and that the Chet Egil will continue to bother you. It doesn't say Chet Egil, but that's the only thing we know of at this time. This time it just started, the, 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 the life after the Chet Egil. So that, what did the, the Torah tell you to think about Mishkan? Mishkan, think about how bad things might be. Mishkan Haidut, at the same time, Haidut Li Yisrael, Shevitel allowed them to continue to exist in spite of the Chaita Egel, that's the proof. It's not just the proof that they are still alive, because that doesn't mean anything. But would allow the Shechina, God's presence, to be in the uh, in the uh, Mishkan, in the Mishkan, if he had not forgiven them, or forgiven them in large part, 
I don't know. So you have these like, like uh, here they are, but Israel. They're happily in a world which is a which includes the place of God, but they're not sure how many credits they have to remain in that in that world. Pasukav bet, okay? Pasukav bet. Well, sorry, biyadi tamar. Avodat alaviim. I'm sorry, Rashi. Avodat alaviim. Kudeya mishkan. Kelav who avoda. Avodah msura la levim ba midbar la seitu la horid la kim ish ish the masaom of kadalav that the levim have the job be avodat alevim biadi tamar ben arod akohen right they they have the job of moving with the mishkan moving the mishkan from one place to another biadi tamar tamar was one of the sons of Aaron. He was uh, in charge of them. He was, every household had a certain job that they, you know, the, the different children of Levi had different, different jobs. We saw that last week, that he had a name, he had a full name. Lemate Yehuda, Asa et kol Asher tziva Hashem et Moshe. Asa et kol Asher. And now we come up with the problem that we had last week, and the problem we had last week was, why do we need Betzalel? What was it that Betzalel did that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do? And we had a we had a, an answer, the beginning of an answer. But we'll look at Rashi, and Rashi will give us his answer. Betzalel ben Uri asad kol asher tziva Hashem et Moshe. Betzalel did what God commanded Moshe, which sounds like Betzalel that the Moshe Rabbeinu was still in charge, that Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu passed on the Torah, which included how to build a mishkan to Betzalel, right? Betzalel ben Uri asad kol asher tziva Hashem et Moshe. Rashi. Asher tziva Moshe enktiv kan elakol asher tziva Hashem et Moshe kol asher tziva Hashem et Moshe. What's not written? Asher tziva Moshe. It says kol asher tziva Moshe. Right? What does that mean? Afilu dvarim shelo amar lo rabo. So Rashi actually elevates B'Tzalel uh, uh, to the primary recipient of the Torah that has to do with the Mishkan. It's like saying, Moshe better received the Torah of the Mishkan, he's not to pass it on. But B'Tzalel didn't need to be taught about the Mishkan by Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, even things that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't teach it, somehow he had this great talent. He was able to intuit or to receive in prophecy what HaKadosh Baruch Hu taught Moshe Rabbeinu Sinai. Mishkan. 
Moshe Rabbeinu, the parish of Truma, said first make the kelim. The first kli that they made was the Aron. After that, there was a Shulchan. They made the kelim, the, the furniture they made. Right? Ki Moshe kelim. He said first Truma. V'achakach mishkan. That's Tetzaveh. Amalo b'tzalel. B'tzalel said, Nebuch Moshe Rabbeinu, minag ha'olam. The way it works in the world, in the real world, in the real world, is first you build a house and then you buy a couch. Not the opposite. That's what Bitzalel said. Amalo Moshe. Moshe said, that's your name. You were in the shade of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You got it yourself. And so the two parashiyot at the end of the book of Shemot, well, I mean, they say something about Torah. They say something again about Torah. What's the Torah? The Torah is the Torah of the of the Mishkan. And Moshe Rabbeinu heard the Torah, but Betzalel somehow got it. Even if he didn't hear it from Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't know what Moshe Rabbeinu said, and therefore he could even disagree with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, first build the kelim, the furniture, make the, what you're going to put inside, and then build the building. And Betzalel said, Whoever heard of such a thing? We have to build, we have to build the building, and then we'll put in the furniture. And that's because Bitsala was Bitsal Kale. When Bitsala said something, it wasn't just a reasonable thing to say, it was a Torah thing to say. It was the right thing to say. And even though he was at odds with Moshe Rabbeinu, he was nevertheless. He was nevertheless the person who knew, who knew what it was that he was supposed to, that he was supposed to say. And then the Gemara, the uh, the next pasuk, the next pasuk says, uh, pasuk of Gimel Vito, Vito, second in command to B'Tzalel. I mean, why would you mention second in command to Bitzal? You've got Bitzal he's Bitzel Kel, Aliyah ben Achisamach l'matei dadan, Charash v'choshei v'rokeim, Bitacheled Agaman. He had all these skills. He was a very highly skilled laborer. Ubitolata shani v'sheish. But there is an interesting comment that Rashi makes. And this uh, comment is in uh, in Kitisa. In Kitisa, Lamed Hey, Perik Lamed Hey. I'll just tell you what Rashi said. It's not on the sheet, but I'll tell you. Aliyav, Aliyav, which was uh, was Mishavet Dan. You see, he told Aliyav ben Achisamach Lamate Dan. He was from the tribe of Dan. And so Rashi says, to all Rashi teaches us. Min ha-Yerudim b'Shvatim. It was like um, a simpler uh, group of Shvatim. Min ha-Yerudim. They were they were lower. Some of the Danites were less uh, impressive than the uh, 
than the other than the other tribes. So he says, because they were the children of the 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 handmaidens of Yaakov. Here you see that Aliyah is equal to Bitzalel. Bitzalel, says, right? General, general statement. But according, but Aliyah, Harash, Choshev, Rokem, right? And he he had all these skills. He's put on a par with with Bitzalel. Uh, was from Yehuda. People are you know equal. Rich people, poor people, people with you know high. I regard for themselves the people who are not taught to have that kind of regard. They're all equal. And so, according to Rashi, Rashi says, as Rashi does sometimes, Rashi sort of says, I don't know why Aliyab is mentioned. I don't know why he's mentioned, because when you build a building, you put up a sign and you say, this is the architect and this is the builder. And the, you know, you have a few people, you mention a few people, you don't have to mention everybody. You don't have to mention the assistant to the assistant or the assistant to the second command or the third in command. I mean, there's a limit. So Rashi sometimes says, you know, this pursuit comes to teach me a, 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 a lesson, a social of tremendous social value. And because it was of tremendous social value, it's included. In this pasuk right here, even though the Rashi's on a different, the, the, the pasuk in Kiti it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter, right? That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi, uh, so Rashi says, the thing I learned that is of great value is that, the, that in terms of a person, in terms of what a person is capable of doing, in terms of what a person can achieve in his life, there's no, the, the birth, the birth doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference. Rashi. Rashi said it. And he learned it from Oliyav, who is in a pasuk exactly parallel with Bitzalel. And whereas Bitzalel was a Moshe, Oliyav actually did most of these, most of these things. So last week, last week we said. Last week we said that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was a man of great precision. He was able to build exactly perfectly, exactly and perfectly. If the if the the Torah wanted a two meter table, it would be exactly two meters. So there's a story that Moshe Rabbeinu was not able to figure out how to build the menorah. We think, you know, what's the big deal with building a menorah? After all, the menorah is was seven cups. You put in oil and a wick, and you have a menorah. But apparently, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to measure how high it should be, 
and what the base of the menorah would look like, whether it be a rectangle or a, or a triangle or, or some other geometric uh, figure. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed him what the, what the uh, uh, menorah looked like in a dream. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, I, I, I don't get it. You know, he just kept saying, I don't get it. And finally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed him, showed him the uh, menorah on fire. A fiery menorah. He said, do you see it now? It's a fiery menorah. Moshe Rabbeinu saw the fiery menorah, but he couldn't translate it into a physical menorah that's not on fire. And uh, and so he went to Bitzalel and he said, uh, what do you say, Bitzalel? How are you going to build how are you going to build the menorah? So he said, oh, it's no problem. No problem, we'll get it done. So it seemed to me, it seemed to me when we were learning last week that here Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, was not able to do something, to build something in the world. Now, those of you who live in Israel and have ever tried building something, either your your house or an apartment or fixing a kitchen or a bathroom, you're probably amazed at how it never comes out quite the way you thought it would when you started out. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu could not be imperfect. He couldn't produce a mishkan that was less than perfect. Bitzalel, he wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. He had no problem with that. Bitzalel was was a man of 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 the job. He knew that when you build something, it's never exactly the way you want it. It's always somehow off center, off kilter, off off something. It's always off something. So, Akkadish Baruch Hu said, Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not for you. You're not going to be able to do it. We'll get B'Tzalel. He'll do it. And he'll, he'll have a, like a tape measure. And he'll measure. And it'll fit in exactly. Or it won't fit in. So he'll give it a little push here. It'll give it a little push there. And it'll make it. Now, this story that I'm telling you about Moshe Rabbeinu and, and B'Tzalel, is not just a story that, that came to me. but it's meaningful because we know that the Mishkan is a model. It's a model for the building of the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash is the enhanced version of the Mishkan. Right? It's the idea of the Mishkan in a, fa- in a fancier setup. That Bayat Rishon was very fancy. Shlomo HaMelech built it. And Bayat Sheni became very fancy at the, at, the, at, the, at the beginning. It was not so fancy, but it became fancy. Bayat uh, Sheni. But if not for the fact that Betzalel built the Mishkan, Betzalel, the man who was less than perfect, who did not, was not able, who was not able to, uh, was not able to pass up the opportunity to build something just because he wouldn't get it perfectly right. That made it possible for Shlomo Amelech to find the people to build the Beit HaMikdash. If Moshe Rabbeinu had built the Mishkan, and if he had been able to, to apply his notion of precision, of truth, 
of the only way that it could be, no one would be able to ever repeat the building of the Mishkan into a Beit HaMikdash. But because Bitzalel built the Mishkan, and we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu approved of that building and the, the result of the building of the Mishkan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu approved of that. Since we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu approved of that, of that, of that imperfect building of the Mishkan and the menorah and the Shulchan, all of that was done, you know, more or less the size that it was supposed to be, but not perfectly the size. There was no doubt that Shlomo HaMelech would be able to build the Beit HaMikdash and that after him, Ezra would start building the Beit HaMikdash again and it would go and it would even be built by, in some uh, some regards, by, by, by Herod. So you have this interaction between between Moshe Rabbeinu and Bitzala, which I understand as being Moshe Rabbeinu, the man of precision. Whenever he taught the Torah, he got it exactly right. He knew exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to say, wanted to pass on to B'nai Yisrael. He knew all of that. He knew all of that. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, Bitzala, it wasn't like that. He wasn't a great Torah scholar. The first Mishnah Pirkei Avot does not mention anything about Bitzalel. I mean, it's the Kenim, but this Kenim and that is not Bitzalel, not Aliyah. They knew how to do something very well. But very well doesn't mean the perfection of Torah. That they did not. They that they did not know. So I would like to uh, to kind of. Uh, Mention another idea. If we could turn the page. Uh, oh, there is that it. You turn the page here. There's another pasuk in Kitisa, and also connected to the Mishkan somehow, which we said at the be we mentioned in the beginning. Daber b'nei Yisrael emor achad shabtotai tishmoru ki oti b'ni u'b'neichem l'doroteichem l'adat ki ene Hashem mekadishchem. Suddenly we're talking about Shabbos. Daber b'nei Yisrael emor pasuk yud gimel achad shabtotai tishmoru ach. I want to you know achad shabtotai tishmoru. That's like. A statement about the Mishkan, about building the Mishkan, but you know, Shabbos, you have to keep Shabbos. Ki oti it's a sign that there's a that we're somehow connected together, Ladat, to know Ki I am the God who sanctifies you. Let's look at the Rashi, Daber Yisrael, Daber Yisrael, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Even though I have commanded you, Moshe Rabbeinu, to tell them that they've got to start building the Mishkan, don't think so that Shabbos is not important. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch realizes that Shabbos is in danger. 
he goes and tells Moshe Rabbeinu to build a Mishkan. So of course Moshe Rabbeinu says, he says, you got to conquer, I got to do it right away. I got to do it as soon as possible. That's what a command from a Kodesh Baruch means. So if you have to do it as soon as possible, then maybe Moshe Rabbeinu will, will, will write it to the do not think lightly of the Shabbat at this moment, that somehow the Mishkan pushes away the Shabbat, ota and then, and then, but no, keep the Shabbat, keep the Shabbat. Rashi says, even if you're in a hurry and you're running to do the, to build the Mishkan, don't allow the Shabbat to escape. Call Achin, Rakin, Miutin. See the Ach? Ach. I don't have a. I can't underline. See in the top line, the first pasuk. Ach et chapter Taitish Boru. Ach. Maybe I can do this actually. You're about permission to announce a request and wait for the present or him. Oh, great. Ah, here we are. <laughs> Not so good. Ah, I can erase. One second. Great. Okay. Here it is, this part of the Pasuk. So Rashi says that the word Ach, the word Ach, Ach chapter Daishvora, I'm a bishop to you. He says, call Achin the Rakin Miyutin. Every time the word Ach appears in the, in the Torah, it comes to limit something, right? Lima'et Shabbat mimelechet ha-mishkan. To say that Shabbat versus Mishkan, Shabbat wins. So even though you, you're commanded to do the work and to build the Mishkan, you can't do, do it on Shabbat. Why not? Ki oti because it's a sign. Ot kidolahi. It's a great sign. It's an indication that I chose you. So, in this argument that takes place between building the Mishkan and keeping the Shabbat, and keeping the Shabbat, HaKadosh Baruch says to B'nai Yisrael, explains to them that Shabbat is not just a prohibition. Don't do this, do that, right? It's not just that, but Shabbat is an oath. It's the agreement. It's the base agreement between us, right? I gave it to you. I gave it to you, though, that you can't just keep Shabbat. You can't keep Shabbat. You have to be 
you have to be directed to keep Shabbat. If, uh, if somebody who has not been given a command to keep Shabbat, keep Shabbat, so he's not really doing it. He's not really doing it. Anybody can sit around and set the day off and not do anything. But to be responsive to the tzivui, to the command, that's what it is. Ladat, Rashi says, ha'umot ki ani Hashem Because I make you kodesh. So at the beginning, I think of this evening, I said, I think I said, that uh, Shabbat is is the universal sanctity. It's God every place. God is every place in the world, and 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 we're actually keeping Shabbat together, and that's the oath. It's not that we're keeping Shabbat. That that's what we do. But we do as God does. It's it's the opportunity that we have, not only to accept a directive from heaven, which is an opportunity, but it's an opportunity to be with God in this enterprise. That's Shabbat. That's Shabbat. Mishkan, Mishkan, the tabernacle. The Beit HaMikdash is a special place within the created world where we think, we hope, it was true at the time of the Mishkan, that God's presence is more noticeable. God is more available. God's more available. So it's not like Shabbat. Shabbat is every place. Any person who was commanded was commanded to keep Shabbat together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that command to keep Shabbat together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not neutralized, is not neutralized by, uh, by the building of the, of the Mishkan. It's not greater than. But Shabbat is greater than. Shabbat is greater than. You know, the Nachman of Brasov explains, you know, the, the Arizal had this idea that uh, the Arizal had this idea that in order to create the world, God had to make a place, a place for, for the world to be. And that place was the Chalal HaPanui. And made an empty space into which God put the created world. But the Zohar insists that even though God, it sounds like God is around the created world, it's also true that God is within the created world. So that somehow the world that God is in is every place. Every place in the world is God's God's world. So again, Lachadish Baruch went to tell people to create something, to create something for God. I mean, of course, everything is good for us, but it was for God a place to create a place. We were given instruction on how to make that place and how to 
that'll keep it. But it did not take the place of Shabbat. Did not take the place of Shabbat. And apparently that's what we're supposed to think about when we think about the prohibitions of Shabbat, the 39 kind of categories of prohibitions that exist on Shabbat. And then we learned those 39 categories of prohibitions from, from the Mishkan. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, even though the, the, the Mishkan is a model for the, for the prohibitions that we have to assume on Shabbat, even though, even though that's true, it's truly a model. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's not the Mishkan that informs us about Shabbat, but it's the Shabbat that informs us about the Mishkan. That even the people who have an oath, who have a, an agreement with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, an agreement that we're, we're sort of in this together, and that agreement is Shabbat, even those people might need a Mishkan, might need something to keep them more realistically connected to a Kodesh Bochul, and that's, that's what the Mishkan is. So the Shabbat is the creation of the world, and the Mishkan is Har Sinai, the two formative ideas that the Jewish people have carried around with them since the beginning of time. Uh, was the creation the, the the creation of the world? It's God's gift to us, and the Mishkan is somehow our gift to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And B'tzalel, who finds himself in between Moshe Rabbeinu and the regular citizens, is the one who was able to make that to make that connection. Um, all the best. Have a good Shabbos. Be well.